Good morning, church. Our reading this morning is Revelation 2, 18 to 29. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, the words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works, your love and faith and service and patience, endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works. And I will strike her children dead, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. But to the rest of you in Thyatira who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast what you you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my father. And I will give him the morning star. He who has ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the word of the Lord. God, indeed. Thank you so much, Carrie. It's a great day to be in the house of the Lord, isn't it? And I don't know about you, but I mean, I love singing You're Worthy of It All. And it's just, you know, I heard a worship leader once describe what we do on Sunday mornings as a dress rehearsal for heaven, you know, and just imagine that day where we will stand before the throne of God and just look into the face of Jesus with unveiled face and say, you're worthy of it all. And holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And, and you look forward to that day and yearn for that day and love to sit in his presence even today. We're going to continue in Revelation chapter 2. We're going to be in Revelation chapter 2, verses 18 through 29. And, and as we continue our seven letters to the church series, and this, the message today is called Dear Tolerating Church. You're like, tolerating what? Well, we'll see um, as we continue to see how God continues to move in, in our midst today. And are, we serve a great God, don't we? and who answers prayers. Amen. And I want to share with you, like we prayed last week for, for many things, um, and God is continuing to work in everything. But one of the direct answers to prayer that we had, we prayed that as, as a part of our Harvest family went out into the mission field um, of Panama Beach, Florida. It's, it's a hard place to be. Um, but uh, with crew, and Carlos and Emily led a team down there and joined with people from other campuses. Man, God moved and God worked. I want to share with you how sustained how much he answered your prayer. There were 1,352 spiritual conversations this past week, which is awesome, right? 295 gospel, uh, gospel conversations specifically. And there were 62 people that gave their lives to the Lord on this week in Florida. Praise God. Amen. And uh, the team directly that Carlos and Emily led from Stevenson University in Baltimore, um, at least 11 of those conversions were that Carlos and Emily had their, and their team had the privilege of, of being part of. And I knew Carlos was sharing with me a story of how he had the privilege of leading someone, a young lady to the Lord on the beach. And so when they get back, they're back. They got late, but got back early this morning. Ask them how it went, right? And ask them stories and just see how great our God is. And and continue in prayer. Kaya Edwards, another part of our church family, is, is lead, helping to lead a team down to Puerto Rico from crew this week on mission. And so just continue to keep them in your prayers. Amen. And so uh, praise God for how he's building his church here at Harvest and how he continues to do that. And I want to share with you a brief story about uh, how he continues to work in my life over the last 20-something years. It was, the sp- it was September of 2003. And this little thing called Hurricane Isabel went up the East Coast. Anybody remember Hurricane Isabel? Yeah. Well, it flooded downtown Annapolis, but before it got to downtown Annapolis, I was a senior in college. I was a senior in college in, in William & Mary in Williamsburg, Virginia. And we ate out. It was going to be a direct hit on our campus, and we got evacuated. And so we got evacuated. And so my roommate and I actually had pre-existing plans. And so we went to Blacksburg, Virginia, uh, to a Thursday night football game, when, which was all the rage at the time. And so we went there because we had tickets and we had a plan, and we were excited to see what God was going to do there. And so we we went, we were in the student section. Like if you've ever been to a Thursday night football game at Virginia Tech, it's bonkers. Like the stadium's jumping up and down. They're playing Enter Sandman. It's crazy. Um, and I, while I was with my roommates, which was expected, I had an unexpected companion with me. 
It was a box with a ring in it. It was the most valuable possession that I had ever purchased on this earth because it was an engagement ring that I was going to ask my soon-to-be wife, Anne, to marry me with. You know, why would I have that in the middle of a storm? Well, because I wasn't going to leave it in an unaccompanied dorm room in Williamsburg, Virginia, for who knows how long we were going to be evacuated from. I wasn't going to let it out of my possession because it was, well, the most expensive thing I've ever had, my most treasured earthly possession. And so I gripped it in the middle of a torrential downpour and rain. Like, my hands were in my pocket the entire game. The, the, the stands were shaking. The winds were swirling. And my hand was, like, death-gripping this ring. Now, why was the ring so important? Yes, it was about the tangible possession, but it was, about the rep- it was about the relationship that it represented, right? Because I was about to ask my wife to marry me. In fact, that whole going to the game was a cover story uh, for going to see my father-in-law, who was a professor at Virginia Tech, to ask him his permission to ask Anne to marry me. And that was way more scary than living through a hurricane. <laughs> <laughs> So in the middle of the torrential downpour, I held fast to this ring because I cherished the relationship and I look forward to the rest of hopefully my earthly life living together with this woman, the, the, the human being that I respect most and beautiful inside and out and is the most awe-inspiring person in the world to me. And as we dig into this text today, we're going to see Jesus Christ teach us that in the middle of the storms of life that we can hold fast to the greatest treasure of way more worth than any engagement ring that we have ever been given, which is our relationship with Jesus Christ, which is a promise of not just life, the rest of life on earth together with Jesus, but the rest of life for eternity together with Jesus, that when we treasure that overall, we will hold fast to Jesus in and through it all. That's the message to his church at Thyatira. Hold fast to me. Because many of you have started to tolerate things that are against me, against my word, church. But you need to hold fast to me because I am what is best for you. Jesus is going to speak into our temptation today to succumb to toleration, to tolerating things that are outside of his word, to tolerating things that lead us to sin apart from his word. He's going to to teach us our fleshly temptation to succumb to Jesus plus theology that says our sufficiency and our satisfaction is found outside of Jesus Christ. He's going to teach us the reality that when we tolerate things that oppose Jesus, we experience devastation on earth and in eternity apart from Jesus. It's a big deal. But he's going to teach us when we do hold fast, when we hold fast to the treasure of what we have, when we value Jesus above all, it's a heart of worship that says, ascribes the worth to Jesus, that you are greater than it all, that we will experience the deliverance through it all, and even more than that, a greater reward than we can ever hope or imagine. Here's the big idea for today. You'll see on the text and in your screen that hold fast to Christ because our greatest reward is Christ. The question Jesus is asking you today, church, friends, family, in person, online, is what and or who do you value or treasure the most? What do you treasure? What do you consider the greatest reward? Because when we treasure Christ, we will hold fast to Christ, even when it means holding loosely to the world and dying to the world. But when we hold fast to the world, we will hold loosely to Christ. And we will see that there are earthly and eternal significant ramifications and consequences based on whatever decision we choose to make today. Because the reality is this, whatever delights us, drives us. You will sacrifice for what matters. You will pay the price for what, what you value most. You will make time for the things that you treasure. So what delights your heart will drive your life your finances, your time. And ultimately what Jesus will teach us today is what delights your heart will determine your eternity. So I pray today that we would see Christ as a treasure for who he is and to give him the worth that he demands and that he deserves. Let's go to the word in prayer. Father, I just thank you so much for who you are. I just pray that you would move and that you would work in our midst in a mighty way today. God, I pray that you would stir in our heart a greater affection for your name. 
God, that we would hold fast as, as things are rocking around us and storms, storms are swirling around us, that we would hold fast to the truth that you have given us. And even more than that, hold fast to the truth that you are to us. You are the way. You are the truth. You are the life. No one gets to the Father except through you, Jesus. God, and in these moments and in the moments and days and weeks and months and years and decades to come, I pray that we would learn and choose to treasure you above all because you are worthy of it all. And Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would silence our hearts, focus our minds, and open our lives to what you would have for us today. Convict us and compel us, encourage us and exhort us to become more and more like you. In your mighty name we pray, amen. Amen, amen. Revelation chapter two, and thank you so much for reading, Carrie, earlier. Um, this is the word of the Lord. And this is what the, the Jesus is writing to his church, to you and I today. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira, verse 18, chapter two of Revelation, the words of the son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. Now, Thyatira was a, a small military outpost about 40 miles southeast of Pergamum, which is a, the church that we looked at last week. It was, its importance was connected to its trade. It was well known for a commerce of wool, of linen, of leatherwork, of bronze work, and especially pearl, purple dye. Now, if Thyatira sounds a little familiar to you, and, and if you're familiar with the Bible, and it's okay if you're not, we're so glad that you're here. If this is your first time in church or opening God's word, man, we love you and so glad you're here. But if you go back to Acts 16, when Paul first gets to Philippi, he meets someone who is actually holding a small group, if you would, a Bible study, if you would, a leading lady of the church named Lydia, who was a what? A dealer in purple cloth from Thyatira, from this place. And she became a very significant and influential and essential early leader and prominent leader in the church at Philippi and the broader church in general. This was a smaller church. It was the smallest church that Jesus writes to, but it was a mighty church. It was a mighty place that God really had a huge plan for because God loves his church, big, small, urban, suburban, rural. He loves his church. And every church matters to God. And he wants all of our hearts and he has a big plan for us. And as we look here in verse 18, it's always interesting, right? To see how in these letters, how Jesus introduces himself. Because it really outlays what he's about to talk about. So how does he introduce himself in verse 18 here? He says, this is the words of the son of God. This is the only time in Revelation that Jesus is referred to as the son of God. It's establishing his divinity, his authority who has eyes like a flame of fire, what it's telling us here is that Jesus sees all. He's gonna, Jesus himself is going to reiterate that later. That he is, he is everywhere and he knows everything. He knows the motivations of your heart and your mind and your life. You can fool me. You can fool your spouse. You can fool your small group leader. You cannot and will not fool Jesus Christ. He knows. He sees. And he continues, who has eyes like the flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. You're like, what does that mean? Well, again, he's making a direct comparison that the people in Thyatira would know. They dealt in bronze work. And he's saying, you think you have the bronze work going there? I have greater. And even more than that, there's symbology here relating to Jesus as a judge. It's establishing his authority that he is ruling in session as a judge right now. He's authority. He's sovereign and supreme. He knows our actions, our thoughts, and our emotions, and we will stand before God and give an account for our life and be held responsible for it. And Jesus is establishing that right now. He continues in verse 19 after he establishes who he is. He says, I know your works and your love and your faith and your servants, your faithful, your patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. What is he he's saying here is that I love you, church. I love how you are serving me. And your latter works exceed the first, so you continue to do good works for me. I know that you love me. And your love for me is driving your faith and your service. It's interesting here if you compare back and you compare what he's writing here to the, what he wrote at the church at Ephesus in the first letter that we looked at a couple weeks ago. To, to the church of Ephesus, he says, look, you stand for my truth, but you've lost your love for me. You have truth, you don't have love. Here to Thyatira, it's the exact opposite. You have love, but you're tolerating untruth. You're high in the love and you're low on the truth. Now, in our daily life, if we are high on love and low in truth, right, in churches, we lead more to license. 
Oh, I love you, so do whatever you want because I don't really, I, I don't want to tell you that you're wrong or God's word tells you to do something different. So do what you feels good to you, right? Make and if you're high on truth and low in love, it's more on legalism. Now, both are wrong because all of them is the Lord. The Lord is fully loving and fully truthful, full of grace the entire time. Jesus himself says that in John, I come full of grace and truth. We're, we're exhorted to speak the truth in love, not speak truth without love and not speak live love without truth. It's both, it's and. And so it's an interesting comparison here. And that loving is leading to, is that, that the loving without discerning, without truth, is leading to this church tolerating things that are not truth? Is that doing your life today? I love you so much and you're in the world that I hate. I don't want to tell you that church, what God's truth is because I might hurt you. I might offend you. I might risk the relationship. We talk a lot about unapologetic preaching at Harvest as one of our pillars. This is unapologetic preaching and teaching that we're going to teach all of God's word, not just some of it, because that's the most loving thing that we can do. We do it as a spirit of patience and grace. But that is what Jesus is calling this church at Thyatira to do. Holding loosely to God's truth led the church to both tolerating teachings that opposed God and partaking in sinful actions that were in direct rebellion against God. So into this corrupted culture that was holding loosely to the word of God, not all of them, but a lot of them, Jesus is exhorting us and, and imploring us to hold fast, right? That's verse 25. Only hold fast until what you have until I come. So how do I hold fast? Because what we're going to see here is that holding loosely leads to, dev- to, uh, to God's truth leads to devastation. Holding fast to God's truth leads to deliverance. What are you choosing to do with God's truth? This is truth right here. God's word, 100% truth. 100% love. What are you going to hold fast to today? In your life, in every aspect, in nook and cranny, are you holding fast to God's word? Are you submitting and surrendering your life to God's word and saying, what does God's word have me do and how I'm going to make my decisions about my time, my money, my energy, my talent, or where am I holding loosely? Well, holding fast to Christ because we view Jesus as the greatest reward. And this is a love letter from Jesus' heart to our, your heart and mine. Two reasons from this text to hold fast today to what we do have in Jesus. We have his words, we have his promises, we have his presence. The first reason to hold fast is this. Jesus looks at us. This is from Jesus' lips and heart to your heart right now. Hold fast, loved one. Why? Because I am what is best for you. It's the first reason right there. You'll see it in your notes on the text. Because I am what is best for you. My word is what is best for you. My plan is what is best for you. My purpose is what is best for you. The world might tell you it's not, but I'm here to tell you the reality that I am what is best for you. I love what Nate said earlier. To see Jesus is greater than and more than. To see Jesus is bigger and best, right? That's the heart of this letter. It's the heart of love. Because look at what he continues in verse 20. He's like, look, I know your works and you're doing great things and your latter works exceed the first. Like you're continuing to do these works. You haven't just stopped. Praise you for that. And then he gets to 20. But this I have against you, that you what? Tolerate that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants. And my servants is doulos. So taking people that claim to follow the Lord and she is seducing them away, okay, to follow the world. We can never let our guard down. To practice sexual immorality, continues in 20, and to eat food sacrificed to idols. This I hold against you, Jesus said. You've stopped viewing me as best for you. Now, you're like, who is this Jezebel person? Now, Jezebel, the woman that they are talking about in this text is probably literally not named Jezebel. Jesus is using a a metaphor, an example, an illustration, if you would, to categorize someone named Jezebel so that when they said Jezebel, they would know exactly what Jesus was talking about. It's sort of like if you and I said someone, oh, that's like a guy that's like, get off my lawn guy. You know what I'm saying when I say that? Like a little cranky, a little hard to, doesn't want to change. And it's none of you, right? But in the same way, when when someone was called a Jezebel, people then knew exactly what Jesus was talking about. 
Jezebel was well-known then and well-known today as arguably the most evil and wicked queen to ever live in Israel in 1 Kings. So to call someone a Jezebel was to call them wicked and evil and to follow her was leading to death and destruction, guaranteed. Jezebel was well-known to the church and she was the authority. Her, king, her husband was King Ahab, but he, he was just a figurehead. She was the engine that drove that thing. He, she got him to worship pagan gods. Jezebel got Ahab to kill God's prophets and murder a righteous man named Naboth, all in 1 Kings. So when Jesus is saying again that the church is tolerating a woman named Jezebel, he's saying that the church is tolerating false teaching that will lead to death and destruction. One commentary puts it this way. It has well been said that we name our sons David and Paul, our daughters Mary and Rachel, but we name our dogs Goliath and Nero, and we name our cats Jezebel. Sorry for any cat people out there. So for Jesus to call Thyatira a church tolerating Jezebel was not a compliment. It was rather a condemnation of corruption that would lead ultimately to devastation and destruction. He's saying, wake up, church. You've let slip what would give you life, and you are now holding on to what will bring you death. And man, isn't that true for so many of us in today's society as well? We've been seduced by the seduction of the world, by the white lies, the whisperings of the world that say, this is best for you. And Jesus is like, no, it's not. I am what is best for you. You will find sufficiency in sexual satisfaction, in job advancement, in more money in your bank account, in financial security. And Jesus is like, no, 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 you will find only security and sufficiency in me. Friends, have you been seduced by the world today? Or are you holding fast to the truth of God's word? Jesus is saying it's a big deal to tolerate distortion of God's word and corruption of the heart. But so often, why, friends, do we make such a little deal about it? It's not a big deal if you just drift this way. or The, world, the world's changed. Culture's changed. So my behavior has changed. You know who hasn't changed? Jesus Christ, the word of God. But we justify and rationalize and then modify our behavior because we're actually being seduced, like Jezebel seduced this, by the world. And then Je- Jezebel can be a guy too. So guys, it's not just like, hey, women are the problem. No, they're not. <laughs> our hearts are the problem. And before we just take this text and look out there, may we look in here to see where have I been seduced away from the reality that Jesus is what's best for me. His, his God's word is what's best for me to the teachings of those who want to do me harm. Tolerate here means to allow, to permit, to not restrain, to let one do as they wish. What you treasure dictates what you tolerate. What you treasure dictates what you tolerate. If you treasure the earthly relationship with this person, you'll probably put up with a lot of stuff, right? Because you don't want to offend them. What if they don't like me anymore? What if they, don't, uh, what if they unfollow me on social media? What if I get fired from my job, right? So you're tolerate as opposed to standing for God's truth. What you treasure dictates what you tolerate. I was talking with a buddy last week, and he's like, I'm all about clean eating. Great, because he wants to work out and get all buff and awesome. So, like, I'm not going to eat this. I'm not going to eat that. I'm going to tolerate not eating things that will initially taste good but will do me, my body, harm, right? Because I want the product. I want, a tre- I want this. How many of us spiritually, though, are tolerating unclean living and unclean eating. If we treasure Christ, we won't tolerate teachings that bring us and pull us away from Christ. In fact, in Jesus, right before he went to the cross, looks at his disciples, looks at us in John 14, says, if you love me, you'll what? You'll keep, you'll obey my commandments. So here in this text, as we see in verse 20. Jezebel was saying, hey, it's okay if you practice sexual immorality. Times have changed. God wants you to be happy. He wants you to be physically happy. He wants you to be with somebody that makes you happy, wherever it goes physically. Guys, that's not true. Eat food given to idols. 
Idolatry, where in your life have you allowed good things to become ruling things and now you're allowing them to become dictating things in your life? That could be kids, family, job, money, sports, whatever. But where have you allowed it to shift, to be seduced by the lies of the world? Let your guard down, lowered the standard. Jesus in this text says, I am the standard because I am what is best for you. Where have we lowered our standards? We've stopped treasuring Christ. We're seeking instant gratification. We're forgetting that sanctification doesn't happen with a microwave. It happens with a crock pot. It leads to destruction. So how did the church get there and how, how have we gotten there today? Because they let the wolf into the hen house and they let her stay there. And they accommodated her. They fed her. That's why the Bible teaches so significantly about what to do about false teachers. But here they're like, Jezebel's here. Hey, you want a room to stay? Here's some food. What's, we want to listen to you. John Owen says, be killing sin it'll, or it will be killing you. The susceptibility, susceptibility of the false teacher came from the vulnerability to hearts that treasured things that were of the world as opposed to holding fast to the things that were from God. Now, how does this thing happen? I love how Paul explains it to Timothy in, in his final letter, a pastor to pastor letter. Paul says this to Timothy about the necessity of God's word and because of the reality of our life. He says, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. This is 2 Timothy 4. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, right? That's what's happening here in Thyatira. But having itching ears, they will what? Accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from their listening of the truth and wander off into myths. The time is coming. The time is here now, is it not? I want to seek and I want to please my own passions, not... Not Jesus' passion, because all of a sudden, I don't view Jesus' passions as what's best for me. I view other things as what's best for me. So I'm going to go find somebody to validate what I already think. And they might be on YouTube. They might be on some podcast. But then because they say it, I can believe it. And I am validated because of it. Man, that's so wrong and deadly, is it not? But where are you doing that in your life? God's word's very clear about everything that God wants to be clear. We might not like it. It might get into how you live your life, how you spend your money, how you raise your kids, how you use your time. You're like, nobody has a business entering into that part of my life. That's mine. Well, there's a problem. Your heart, you're not surrendered. You're not submitting. Your pride, it will lead to destruction in your life. And I love you too much not to say that. Jesus is saying that very thing right here. It will destroy you. He's not mincing words, as we're going to see in a second. We wander off into mist because we take our eyes off of Christ. We allow our hearts to wander, and then our ears wander, and our eyes wander, and our lives wander. Return and repent. That's the message from this text in Thyatira. Repent, return, or else you will experience the consequences of your decision. So friends, are your ears itching? What are you itching to hear? What are you treasuring that is not from Christ? What are you listening to that isn't from God? Whose perspective are you turning to for truth where you need to anchor your truth in the word of God? You're like, well, this person is on YouTube or this person has a podcast. That's what Jezebel said right here, right? Look at verse 20. She called herself a prophetess. Here's my credentials. I self-deem myself a prophetess. You know how dangerous that is? And she had charisma. She was able to seduce people that were in the Lord. Where are you allowing someone else's credentials and their charisma to draw you away from Christ? You're like, how do I know if someone's a real teacher or a false teacher? Great question. Someone asked me that recently. Here are four things that I ask when I look at other teachers about who I'm allowing to impact my life. And the first is this, does their teaching align with the truth of God's word, right? Where is your source of truth? Does their teaching have a scripture, chapter, and verse in context with it properly? Does it align with the truth of God's word, the totality of it? How do you vet scripture with scripture? Does their character, secondly, genuinely reflect Jesus Christ? Does their character reflect Christ? Because if they're a follower of God, 
they will reflect God. Now, none of us are perfect, but that's the pursuit. Is there humility? Are they seeking God's glory or their glory? Thirdly, is the fruit of their life the fruit of the Holy Spirit? Similar to question two. But go to Galatians 5, 22 through 24. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Does it overflow from their life? Because if you continue to read that next verse, Paul talks about how we need to crucify our flesh in order to have the fruit of the spirit. Are they seeking to build their kingdom or God's kingdom? And when you pray about these things and ask, Holy Spirit, give me discernment, he will give you discernment. And if you have a pause, if you have a hesitation, you can maybe ask a question, but be very, very careful about getting your truth from the wrong source. False teachers promise life, but they only usher in death. Only Jesus gives life. Only Jesus gives life. And friends, this is why it's vitally, vitally important for you to be a part of a local church. Because what Paul says to Timothy, you need to be around people that know you and love you, that with complete patience and teaching that reflects the character of God and the fruit of the Holy Spirit, will use God's word to lovingly reprove, rebuke, and exhort. You ever been exhorted or rebuked by a podcast preacher? They don't know you. This is why you need to be in a small group, to be known and to know. So that the work of the word of God can be done through the people of God. And that people that have been vetted and given authority by God's installed leadership, where there's accountability. And look, I'm not the world's greatest pastor. Thanks for putting up with me and preacher. Neither is Pastor Andrew. I love him. He's great. We, we have amazing small groups leader, leaders, but we're all growing and none of us are, are phenomenally the best ever at what we do. But man, we love you. And we want to feed you God's word. And we want to walk with you through ups and downs. And it takes a mutual humility to have a heart and ears that are open to the reality of God's truth and to be able to seek his truth and then to live it out. We need to be plugged into his church to hear his word, to live out our lives together, or else we will succumb to being seduced away by the lies of the world. Because when you compromise your theology, you compromise your morality. It starts with a theology, but then gives itself out. They listen to false teachers, and all of a sudden, they were living out false sexually immoral lives. They were committing themselves to idolatry. Maybe you're doing that today, too. What culture says, no big deal, Christ is saying it's a very big deal. Very big deal. Holding fast and standing on the truth of God and pursuing becoming more like Jesus it's what he's calling us to. Jesus is calling us in this text to a life of spiritual fidelity and not spiritual adultery. Where have you wandered? Where are you cheating on Jesus? He is our sole source of satisfaction. The gospel math says this, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. That's not original to me. So rewards that we are often seduced into seeking of this world are comfort, happiness, success, luxury, identity, power, security, control. And when these things are threatened, we look to something that will affirm to that, yes, the way that you want to do it in your flesh is the right way. Yes. Sure. Get married to a non-believer. Who cares? God cares. Have improper relationships with someone you're not married to. God cares. Do you care that God cares or not? Use your money how God wants you to use it, your time, all these things. But it's going to crimp my style. Again, it's a heart issue. It's an idolatry issue. And we will all face the judgment of God. Because here is in verse 22 and 23, Jesus lays down the gavel as the judge and says that toleration of sin will lead to devastation because of sin in your life. Right here in 22 and 23, behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her, those who are followers, that's you and me, 
I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works and I will strike her children dead, not physical children, spiritual children. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart and I will give to each of you according to your works. Wow. Jesus is the great judge. He is uncompromisingly holy. Praise God for that, amen. He will not lower his standard because he says, my standard is what's best for you. Be holy because I am holy. And he says, if you follow the world, you will reap what you sow. You will get according to your works. Verse 23. And what we deserve because of our sin, and we are all sinners, is death. And Jesus says, you will get death. Tribulation could be on earth. It could be eternal. Different commentators think different. are a little bit not sure exactly what that means in verse 22, but it means destruction. And it's not just a teacher, it's her followers. I didn't know, I just blindly followed. You are personally responsible for who you are seeking truth from and where you are placing your hope in. And you will have to stand before God one day and give an account. Jesus is the judge who searches your heart and mind. He says it right there in verse 23. I am he who searches mind and heart. So friends, when he searches your heart and your mind right now, what does he find? What does he see? Have you been seduced by the world? And have you given in to finding your truth apart from him and living a sinful life? Or are you holding fast to the word? Now, none of us are perfect. And praise God for his grace. And praise God for what Jesus calls us to do in this text, which is repent. Because here's the beauty of the gospel. Romans 6.23 says this, the wages of sin is what? Death. But the gift of God is what? The free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That while verse 23 is very, very true, that we, because of our actions, deserve death, Jesus offers us life. And look at the heart of God. So God, this text reveals the heart of God, two facets that are completely true at the same time. He is uncompromisingly holy. He will not yield or lower his standard. He requires perfection. He requires pure righteousness because that's what God requires. He is also unconditionally loving, God is. And so while we cannot fix ourselves, we cannot pay the price for our sin, Jesus Christ can and did. And he left heaven and came to our mess and he died on the cross and he took our pain and our sin upon himself and he died. And when we put our, and he, God raised him from the dead and when we put our hope and our faith in him, that's a free gift. We are forgiven of all of our sin as we confess it and we are given the gift of eternal life. Praise God, amen. Hallelujah, what a savior we have. And look at the heart of God right here. Verse 21, I gave her time to repent. I gave her time. But there is an expiration date that comes with that, right? Because we will stand before God one day and give an account. So don't put off tomorrow repenting. Repent, not later, but now. And then do it again tomorrow when you need it. Amen. And this is a punishment that Jesus says that you have. I will throw her into the great tribulation, verse 22, unless what? Unless they what? Repent of their works. So where in your life do you need to repent for rebelling against God and experience the grace of God in your life and allow the truth of the gospel to penetrate your heart and restore you and renew you again and again because God's grace is unending. Praise God, amen. What a, this is such a beautiful picture of our Savior. Because in 25, he just says, only hold fast. So church, I want to encourage you to this. Hold fast to the grace that God gives you. Hold fast to the reality that we are a sinner 
in need of a savior. Hold fast to the reality that God's grace is sufficient. Hold fast to the promise that when we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Here's the heart of God. Hold fast to the heart of God. Second Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards you. He gives you time to repent, right? Not wishing that any should perish, but that all, all means all, should reach repentance. Praise God for that. Amen? Have you reached repentance today? Now, we looked at this last week. Repentance is a changing of your heart, which leads to a changing of your mind and a changing of your, of, of your life. So that I am turning from sin and turning to God. No longer am I anchoring my life in the sufficiency and the satisfaction, trying to earn my salvation, but I'm anchoring in the free gift of God that is my salvation. And I'm living a different way. Are you doing that? And where do you need to do that in your life? Where do you need to hold fast to the reality that Jesus is what's best for you? That's what he's telling us right here. As opposed to succumbing to the lie from Satan and from the world and being seduced because we are easily seduced, are we not? That the world is what we need. That that's our source of happiness. And as we grow mature and more mature, in the Lord, that we will be quicker and quicker to repent and bring about full restoration. Hold fast to me, Jesus says, because I'm what's best for you. Remember, holding fast to Christ because our greatest reward is Christ. And the second reason that Jesus gives us in this text to hold fast to him today is this, because I will fulfill my promises to you. Look at verses 24 and 25. But to the rest of you in Thyatira who do not hold to this teaching who have not learned of what some call the deep things of Satan. To you, I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. I want you to get this fast. Just because your brother and your sister is sinning doesn't mean you have to. Just because they're choosing to follow the world doesn't mean you have to. That's what Jesus is saying right here. But there are others of you that have not succumbed to the temptation to tolerate sin. But you're holding fast to the truth. Praise you. Thank you, Jesus. Hold fast. So what does Jesus say? I don't lay on you any other burden. Verse 25, only do this. Hold fast what you have until I come. The one who conquers, that word conquer in 26 means overcomer, and who keeps my works until the end. To him I will give authority over nations. So what does it look like to conquer? How do I overcome the temptation of toleration? It means I I conquer by holding fast to Christ, by holding fast to the gospel, by holding fast to the character of Christ, by holding fast, right, to the truth of God, by holding fast to the work of God, to the mission of God, by holding fast to being to the active discipline of repentance to God. That's how we overcome. What do you need to hold fast to today? The personal relationship with God, the reality that Jesus defeated death, that he is greater for you. And look at the promises that Jesus makes to us. And praise God that we have a God that keeps his promises, right? That we hold fast to Christ because Christ holds us fast. He will hold you fast. It's an eternal perspective. The first promise that Jesus makes in this text for you and I today is this. I am coming back for you. Only verse 25, only hold fast to what you have until what? Until I come. He's talking about the rapture. Jesus says this earth is not the end. Hold fast to the reality that there is an eternity where you will get to be with me. Hold fast to that eternal perspective in the midst of earthly problems. Hold fast that this world is not your home. Hold fast that you are a citizen of heaven. Hold fast that I will come back to bring you with me to a place where there is no more sickness, death, or illness, that I have gone to prepare a place for you and that I am coming back for you. I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. Hold fast and in an earthly crisis, remember the eternal crowns that await for you. Hold fast to that truth, amen? When you're faced with sickness and death, persecution, when people leave you and make fun of you because of me, when they unfriend you on Facebook, when your job says, I don't want you to be here anymore because of your beliefs, hold fast because I am coming back for you. Second promise is hold fast, Jesus says, because I have an important role for you. 
Look at verse 26, to the one who conquers, who keeps my works until the end to him, I will give authority over all the nations. What a role we have. And this is, and he will rule them with a rod of iron as when earthly pots are broken into pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my father. Look at this role that God has for us. It is a direct quote from Psalm 2, verse 9. And you want to read, go reread that Psalm. It's a messianic Psalm. It's a promise of the reality that we will not just sit with Jesus, we will reign with Jesus. For the thousand year reign, we will get placed on little thrones where we will rule and reign with Jesus Christ. Christ. Isn't that awesome? So he's like, when you lose your position on earth, because of me, remember you the position in eternity that I already have for you. And it's far greater than anything you could hope or imagine right here. Hold fast because I have a place for you. I have a position for you. I have a job for you. I have a role for you. Man, following Christ might cost you your status on earth, but look to the status that you will have with Christ for all of eternity. That thousand year reign is, is described in Revelation chapter 20, verses one through six, Matthew 19, 28, where Jesus, uh, 19, verse 28, where Jesus talks about the beautiful reality that we will get to reign with him. Perseverance in the integrity of our faith is beautiful proof of our profession of faith. The third promise that we have today is this. I am forever with you. Verse 28, and I will give him, him who conquers, him who overcomes, him who holds fast, the morning star. You know what the morning star is? It's Jesus. Jesus is described as the morning star in Revelation 22, 16. Jesus is saying, I will give you myself and all of me. And friends, here's where the rubber meets the road. What reward is there greater for you in earth or eternity than Jesus Christ himself? Where we will stand with unveiled face and see our Savior face to face. Come, Lord Jesus, come. He's worthy of it all. He's more beautiful than it all. He's promised you it all. So may we hold fast to him in and through it all. Through the sickness and the trials and the tribulations, through the financial struggles, through the persecution and opposition, he's worthy of it all. He will keep his promises to you. As we hold fast to him, he holds fast to us. So how do I maintain my earthly my eternal perspective, which is what this is in earthly pain and problems. I'll tell you, for me, I need to renew my mind. I need to reset my heart because it can wander, can it? My, my mind does, my heart does. Life is hard, it hurts. I know so many of you are hurting right now. I know there's a lot and a lot is an understatement of hard stuff happening right now. And this week I just found myself, God, I need you because I have no answers. Hard situation, hard situation, death, suicide, financial struggle, relational difficulty, future uncertainty. Just every text. Okay, God, we need you. We live in a fallen and broken world. How do I have a, you know what I did? And I just, I need to do it quicker and quicker. Get into the word and get into worship because it renews my mind. But a, put a playlist together called ascriptive worship songs like holy forever and worthy of it all and hymn of heaven because that takes my mind to the promises of God that he is worthy and he is holy and he is sovereign and he is sitting in session over it all and he sees us in it all he's coming back for us through it all he has a role for us in it all and he's present where do you need to shift your perspective right now? And the perspective that we have of Jesus comes through his word, through hearts of worship. Worship songs are verbal proclamations of the gospel. The verbal proclamation, it's rhema. It's how we fight our battles. It's Ephesians 6, 17. It's the spoken, proclaimed word of God. This is our hope. Would you look to him today? Would you hold fast to Jesus? because there is no reward greater than Jesus, amen.
There's no treasure greater than Jesus. Our struggle comes when we start to treasure things more than we treasure Jesus. When we hold loosely to the world and hold fast to God. And I love you. And the thrux of this text is this. Where do you need to repent today from ways that you have wandered from God? Where have you been seduced by the world that you need to repent of and return to God? Jesus is giving you time to repent right now. Our time on earth is not guaranteed. There's no length that we have been promised. He is coming back. Repent today and receive a renewal, a refreshment, the hope, the joy, and the peace that you're looking for. Would you shut your eyes with me right now? I'm just, yeah, I'm going to ask Chris to play for about another 30 seconds or so. Would you just ask the Lord to expose in your heart ways that you've wandered from him, been seduced by the world? And would you just repent and say, God, I'm sorry. Jesus, I, you're best, you're what is best for me. And I want to come back to you right now. Forgive me for I have sinned. Restore and renew Hold fast to the grace that promises forgiveness and love. There's nothing that you can do that can outrun the grace of God. And if you've never given your life to the Lord, man, destruction is what awaits you. But deliverance is here for you through Jesus. Jesus knows your heart. He knows your mind. You will, we will all get what we deserve. But by the grace of God, if we give our lives to the Lord, Jesus has taken what we have deserved upon himself and offered us eternal life. It's a free gift of God. So in these next quiet moments, do heart work with the Lord and repent and return. we come to you with the reality and the beautiful thank, heart of thanksgiving that acknowledges that the antidote to the false teachings of this world is holding fast to your true teachings. And Father, in these moments, I just pray that you would forgive us for ways that we have wandered from you, that we've allowed our hearts to become smitten with the world, been seduced by the world, help us to return, God, to change. We lay them at your feet and knowing that the blood that you spilled on the cross of Calvary covers every one of our sins. We just ask that you would forgive us, that you would renew us, and that you would restore us, and that we would hold fast again to the treasure that we have in you that signifies the most beautiful relationship on this earth and for all of eternity through you we will get to spend with unveiled eyes and unveiled faces eternity with you thank you Jesus thank you for the cross thank you for grace forgive us for holding loosely at times to your word and help us to be resolved again to hold firmly to the beauty of your gospel it's worthy of it all Hold loosely to the world and hold firmly to you. Hold fast to you. Jesus, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen.